What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. On this episode, we talk about a fairly deep but timely topic, and that is race in America. If you've listened to or watched or read any news in the last six months, it's going to be hard for you to have ignored names like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake or Richard Brooks, or others that I'll apologize for not mentioning here. And that has brought about a lot of protests in this country. Now, what this episode is not is a bashing of the police. We hardly talk about that at all. But what it is, is an honest conversation about race in present-day America. Our two guests today are Jackson Shof Bembry and Andrew Magana, both who identify as mixed-race individuals, with one of those races being African-American. They both work in predominantly white industries, and they give us a very good insight in how they navigate the world currently as African-Americans. It was an incredibly good conversation. It was a very open conversation, a very honest conversation, and it gave us... Uh, a lens through which Drew and I simply cannot view the world as white men. And the one hope that we have is that after listening to this, you begin to think a little bit differently about the world, or you are sparked to have your own honest conversations within your circle. But we thought it was an incredibly good episode. We thank them for coming on. We thank them for being very honest. And uh, we hope that some good comes of this. And we hope you enjoy. All right, I'm here with Nate, and we have Jackson Shof Bembry and Andrew Magana with us today. And uh, Andrew, you had a good idea for uh, intros to start us off a little bit with, uh, you know, kind of how you identify and a little bit about what you do to kind of kick off the conversation. So why don't you start us off, Andrew? All right, yeah, I'm Andrew Magana. I live in Fort Collins. Uh, I work at uh, a brewing company here. Uh, my role is uh, I work in the human resources department. I do I work in talent acquisition uh, and then also diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice at the brewery. Uh, I identify uh, as a uh, biracial, uh, cisgendered man. Um, I would say most people would see me as black, uh, and I do identify as black, but uh, definitely biracial uh, as well, but uh, definitely uh, for biracial, a little darker skinned for uh, being black, definitely lighter skinned. So in the black community, I definitely consider myself lighter skinned, which if we get to talk about it is important. Uh, the closer you get to whiteness, the more privilege you have. So, right, right. Jackson, you're up. Um, so I am originally from uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, spent the last few years in California and recently have relocated back to uh, Colorado. I would identify myself as uh, biracial as well. Um, you know, I would say on the spectrum of the uh, biracial sphere, I'm, I'm pretty right in the middle. Um, and that has been an interesting space to navigate uh, as I've kind of traveled around the world and um, around the country and kind of what that identity brings uh, to the space. I currently work for a uh, large co-working company. Uh, I am the recruiting manager and uh, work in the talent acquisition space, but then also uh, human resources as well. Uh, definitely very excited to discuss this with uh, P. 
people I would call my friends, but also to, you know, bring this topic to, I think, uh, a lot of people who maybe are, are nervous to have conversations like this. Yeah. Well, and that's, <laughs> that's what I, I want to talk about today. Um, and, and Nate, I know you have your own questions, but that's, I think a good place to start. I don't know. I, you know, being, being a white guy that I am, which, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give mine too. Like, I'm a white guy, identify as white. I'm, uh, you know, the straight white guy from middle America, right? And um, when we, I've actually thought about doing this one for a while. And so kind of when it came up organically with us, I was, I was like, yeah, okay, we can do it. But yeah, I am nervous about talking about it and not, not because I don't think there's, um, you know, there, there's obviously a lot to say. Everyone has a lot to say, but more just like, it, it's hard to talk about these things without, it's like somebody being able to twist your words in some way that you just didn't even mean. Mm. Um, and so I want to talk about that today. Obviously I want to talk about kind of the overarching theme I want to address though, is, you know, can we have an honest conversation on race in America or are we just like beyond that? And there's a lot of sub questions we can get into as well, but um, that's, that's kind of what I want to do. I don't know, Nate, you got any, any setup you want to add to that? Uh, n- not really, other than adding, you know, you said you're nervous about talking about this. I would say uh, I'm not because yeah. of the, well, for, for two reasons. One, everybody on this this episode I've known for so long sure. and I'm so comfortable with. But also, if, if, if everybody's afraid to talk about it all the time, we're not going to make any headway ever. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and and um, I don't know if it's people's fears of talking about it. Or more so, I think people go into these conversations with such a set mindset, and they're mm. ready to do battle. And right. right there, it's done. The conversation is already lost because mm-hmm. if you're not going to meet somebody halfway, whether it's about about you know race or whatever the topic is, um, you're not going to make any headway. So mm-hmm. you know, Jackson and Andrew, I'm not going to even pretend like I know how you navigate the world, but I am very excited to talk about this because I think, you know, even if one person listens and changes their mind and then we, we did it, like that's a step in the right direction. So, um, Drew, I didn't know if you had a, wanted to kick us off. I, I do have some questions, but I'm certainly not going to derail your, no, sure. Your itinerary. Uh, well, I, I think, well, I'll just start with Andrew, like Andrew, like, I don't know. Can is it possible to have an honest conversation about this? And I'm I, I'm sure I'm sure you found ways to do that. Um, but I guess, like well, like Nate just said, where people come into these conversations and they're just ready to do battle. How have you found that navigating that space when you've had to have these conversations? The for me, so as far as navigating that space. I think, Usually these conversations are only had, as Nate mentioned, with individuals that you know and trust. Uh, that's that's a huge one um, because when you're in the position of power as a and, – and by power positions, we mean those positions that have uh, traditionally been and have held the privilege, which is, uh, you know, either being male or white or cisgendered or – uh, straight or, you know, identifiable type of genders. And, uh, you know, this, these type of things, as long as you're in the power position, 
yes, it's it's easy to want to have these conversations when you're in the other when you mm-hmm. are not in a position of power when you are the one of the members of the oppressed having an honest conversation with somebody in the power position is very difficult and it's risky. Uh, you don't want to mm-hmm. you don't want to bring up how you feel and how say this person might make you feel. All right? Like uh uh you know my boss is white and it's and it is it is always and I work with a lot of white people. And so while I have as honest of conversations as I can with the white people I work with and also interact with day to day, do they really want to know the real feelings? Do they really want to know like the depth of it? Um, it's risky. It's risky to have truly honest conversations as a member of a, a marginalized group with somebody in the power sector, right? Now, amongst amongst friends, amongst people I can trust, amongst other people of color or, or, or people of a marginalized group or these conversations are easy to have. You know, Jackson and I have a lived experience. It's very similar. In fact, we, we work in similar type of fields currently. And so having this conversation with Jackson is a much different honesty, comfort level than it would be having it with, say, somebody at work, a white person I work with. And not mm-hmm. that the people I work with or anybody like that is is not great or not trustworthy or, or anything like that. It's just a much more difficult of a conversation to have um, when the power structure is 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 not equal, um, and so even even in our conversation today, I think it will be it will be great. And I trust, uh, as Nate said, this is I've known all three of you for a very long time, and I trust, uh, love, and respect all three of you. So this is a conversation that we can have. Uh, but as far as if you are in a place, a dominant position, talking to a member of a marginalized population and you want an honest conversation without having trust, respect or know that person, you're not going to get an honest conversation. You're going to get you're going to get what we've always done, which is placate and uh, just, yeah. Oh, no, that's fine. Oh, we're OK. Oh, no, that's fine. No worries. No big deal. That's OK. Keep it. Yeah. Uh, which is the the common response when. Yeah. So. Right. And, and I guess that like that, <laughs> you illustrate a really good point where, you know, you talk about the, the power differential, um, or whatever that is, just kind of the, the difference in perspective and coming into it. And right off the bat, I'm like, well, you know, you and I are nervous about the conversation for different reasons. And I'm not saying I'm nervous about this particular conversation because I do know you guys and I know we can have an honest conversation. I'm, I, I'm more just like nervous about, not even nervous. It's just like, I'm just leery about um, how these conversations can be perceived and everything like that. And I just don't know, you know, if that, then that's part of my privilege as well as I just don't know if I want to get caught up in it. Cause I don't have to get caught up in it. Right. Like I don't have to be part of it. If I don't want to, I can choose that. And that's, that's part of it too. So um, yeah, you know, there's just so many factors that go into it. I don't know. Jackson, like uh, what about, what about you? Well, you know, one of the words that Andrew said that I think is um, really resonated with me is the word risk, right? So it's really risky or it feels risky for people to have these conversations or or speak out. And, you know, when when all of this uh, George Floyd stuff happened, I remember, you know, obviously I was 
yeah, I was going through my own emotions of what does this mean? I'm facing, you know, police oppression on a daily. And now there's all of these white people who are, you know, starting to see it and starting to believe the things that, you know, people have been saying. And I remember I had a lot of friends reach out and they said, a lot of white friends, and they said, Jackson, what can I do? What should I do? And my first feeling was, well, it's not my responsibility to tell you what to do. I'm, I'm dealing with this, you know, in, in my own way. Why should I have to do this for you as well? And then I, I took a step back and I said, you know what? These people are taking a risk to potentially step out of their comfort zone because they know something's wrong and they want to do something, but they don't know how. And if I turn down this conversation right now, they may never have another conversation like this again. So I started to view it as this great opportunity, right? And then the next big risk that people were taking were around, okay, I want to say something. I want to do something. I want to have this conversation, but I'm afraid to at the level that I think is right. And so I would tell them, I'd say, look, you have to figure out what your truth is and you have to be willing to actually speak it. So if your truth is posting something on Instagram that says, you know, uh, you know, police reform. And if you think that that's your full truth, then do that. But if that's just you doing something safe, then you're not actually speaking your truth and you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing people like me a disservice who need strong voices and strong allies to support us. So kind of where I, you know, to, to circle it back is that piece of risk, right? Recognizing that everybody's taking a risk when it comes to these conversations and being willing to hold hands on both sides and say, yeah, let's, let's take this risk together. And it's going to be hard and it's going to probably hurt sometimes, but in the end, you know, we're heading towards a better place. Yeah. And I think an important thing I'd like to add on to it is when you're assessing risk, the know who's, taking the bigger risk. Know who's doing that. As as Drew mentioned, Drew having this conversation is, you know, you it's not as risky for you than mm. say myself or Jackson having this conversation with someone. I could get fired or or not 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 from my job. My company's dope, by the way. Um <laughs> but you know, people having these conversations especially like this could alter their life. So make sure when when you're talking about the risk make sure who's at more like know who's at more risk right. we know who's at more risk <laughs> right yeah yeah and, and and i guess jackson that was a good example you had where you know where if someone comes to you and asks you what they should do like i, I probably would have thought of that i was like well you know like i i thought of that when this whole george thing floyd thing came up i was like well i should ask them what to do. And then I thought, well, that's not their responsibility to tell me. And that's what I'm talking about is my, my uncomfort level is, is kind of seated in that arena, which Andrew, you just pointed out is not a, but, as big of a risk as other people. You know, Drew, with that, I think that's, that was my fear though, right? Is that uh, people would be afraid to ask me, mm-hmm. what should I do? Because they don't want to put a burden on me, right? But I want to have these conversations because I know that when we have these conversations, People are more willing to recognize their own privilege, recognize when 
things are are not fair. And the more we can, you know, have these conversations, the better. And so that's why it's this double-edged sword, right? Where you feel like, ah, maybe I shouldn't reach out to Jackson because it's not his responsibility. But I want people to have these conversations. I want them to mm-hmm. get into this uncomfortable space. Mm-hmm. And, and Jackson, I think it's important to say that about you, right? About Jackson wants you to reach, you know, you reach out, you, you can reach out to Jackson if you know Jackson, right? If you know Jackson and, you know, friend or acquaintance, uh, Jackson's there and he wants to do that. But for, uh, not sure who, uh, you know, for just somebody maybe that, uh, maybe you, there's a person of color in your life, and maybe you have not started a relationship with them and they're not Jackson. Um, I think it is, I think it's appropriate to take the precautions that Drew has, right? Like to read, to, to, to consider reaching out because Jackson's available for it. I'm available for, for my friends, but I, if someone, and I'm available for what I'm paid to do. So I'm, I'm paid to talk about this. Like, like I get paid to do this. So, and that's what I told my company is that you all can talk to me about this because you all pay me to do this. But for, for someone else, it it is not an expected part of their life that they need to talk to you about your white guilt. It is something that hope maybe you have somebody like a Jackson in your life that you can talk to, uh, hopefully. And if not, then Maybe you look and see how that changes. Maybe you do your own research. Maybe you um, look at who you're spending time with. So I would, I would like to. Sorry, Jackson. I would like to just point out that that is that is the case for you, but I don't think that would be the case for every every. No, it's a great, uh, it's a great point. Black Indigenous well, person. Well, out there. Yeah. well, think about think about this. So, I mean, think you know, Drew and I are both lucky because we can reach out to you, Jackson and Andrew if we wanted to, and we have, we have that, but I, how many people don't, most people probably don't. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'll be honest when, when all of this stuff happens, um, I didn't think to reach out to you and Jackson or Andrew and and Jackson. I mean, I don't mean that insultingly. Um, and if, if it can get people to just even think differently, that is a minute but s- a small step in the right direction. I think one of the things that that I'm really struggling with is the the disenfranchisement of minorities in the United States was here from the beginning. It was sewn into mm-hmm. the fabric of America. Mm-hmm. And that's not going away with by building a commune in downtown Seattle or Portland or whatever they're doing in the north you know the northwest but what i think the positives are is that it's getting people to talk about it and think about it in a different way um but that's immediately where my mind went was i mean the laws uh community zoning i mean all of this has 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 you know i would say ingrained racism in it And the undoing of that is going to take, I mean, it took 200 years to do it. It it might take, I don't know, a hundred years to undo it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we we can't have this entire 
conversation on this podcast without talking about slavery. I mean, right. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, we got it. I mean, slavery, slavery is real. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw in, this is one of the questions I wanted to talk about too, was like, is, is America unredeemable? I like, is it like Nate, you just, I think you just assumed that you're like, Oh yeah, no, it might just take a long time to fix it. Like, is it even yeah. fixable too? Yeah. Right. Uh, there's heavy a heavy question. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a great book called the pedagogy of the oppressed. And it talks about how, you know, ultimately um, in order for there to be any type of radical change, those who are in power, AKA the oppressor needs to, recognize that they are the oppressor and actively participate in eliminating that piece right but how do you mm -hmm. tell people who have power hey give your power up give it away bring other right. people with you and, and that's you know ultimately what the institution of slavery did is it set people up in power and then all of these other systems were put in place that continued to benefit them and so now you're in a place where how do you expect those people to give that power up? And so, Drew, to your question, do you think that America is redeemable? I think that it is, but radical change needs to come into play. And in its current form, I don't think that we're anywhere near radical change. Heard. You know, at, at no point do have I ever said or, or do I believe personally that, you know, this isn't a great country right? that provides right. great opportunities for people. But mm -hmm. again, the institutions that are set up are set up to support people in power. And it's this mm -hmm. idea of like, um, so there, there, there's two different modes of thought, right? There's people who are saying, okay, we want everyone to be equal, but just as long as that equality uh, stays in their own side of town, right? Sure, yeah, have jobs, do all the things that you want to do, but stay on your side of town, just as long as that equality doesn't affect my side of town. And then there's equality where it says, there shouldn't be any side of town. We should all be working together in the same town to move forward. And I don't mm -hmm. necessarily think we're, we're quite to that point yet. I think we're still sure. in that mindset of, well, yeah, yeah, go ahead. We want you to have success. We want you to do these things in your town. <laughs> it, I mean, that's a that's such a good point, right? Like, like so many people, whether it's people who are super committed to the cause, whether it's people who are posting stuff on social media, who are marching, whatever the case may be, a lot of people in power. When it actually comes down to the real work that Jackson's talking about, not just being like, "Yo, let's like donate money in this," but like, no, no, when you have to give up your power. That is where you see, that is where you see, <laughs> that is the difference. That is the difference between what will you sacrifice to make this a more equitable place to get to an equal place, right? Like what, what are you going to sacrifice? What, what will you do? Because that's, that's the case. It's easy to do this from a distance. It's easy to, you know, pat backs and, and give money and support different causes. But when it actually comes down to it, actually having to like, fracture and rupture the system that you have been a part of and benefited from your entire life as a member of the 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 oppressor like that is tough uh and that's i've seen that in my own life daily with with friends who are wanting to be allies and friends who like to 
call themselves allies and friends who are trying to be. It's 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 when it comes down to making yourself uncomfortable and sacrificing. Like whoa, whoa, whoa! You know, I support this, but I mean, I gotta stay safe. I need, I need, I need you know. <laughs> exactly. There's always that. You, there's always that line, especially. Oh, especially when you work in diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice work in a business, right? Like, like in a company, there's always companies want it, companies need it. But then you always, uh, I was talking to someone else who works in uh, like diversity, equity, inclusion in, in, a, in a workplace. But we, we talk about like, where's that line? Like, it's like, oh, yeah, no, no, go for it. Do this, do this programming, do this. Eventually, all. Like white businesses have a line. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like now we, uh, you know, that's just not terribly efficient or I don't know, we don't have money or there's no budget for that. But, you know, maybe next year. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, and you work in a, a very traditionally white industry in um, Andrew in the yeah. brewing industry, which, well, you know. Well, in a, um, in a white town too. Yeah. In a, in yeah. a very white, white community. Um, right. I I I I often wonder what that line is for um you know northern coloradoans and people in the brewing industry like uh you know um for I mean for any for any company right right any company right. I'm sure where Jackson works I I'm just it's always interesting to see where that line is it's where where that line of like oh no 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 we're we're cool up until this point <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah. yeah yeah oh no no this is this is this is good oh but mm, that's a little too much but let's keep doing this this stuff that makes us feel good well and, let, and, yeah let, let me add andrew i just i'm curious yeah. and, and i'm absolutely not asking you to badmouth your company in any way please don't but like we, we get yeah your company's <laughs> awesome let, andrew's not going to say it but his company's odell brewing it's phenomenal <laughs> um it's an apps this is this is a plug for our yeah. 60 subscribers um great ipas for you white people right? yeah, that's right that's right uh, for all the white people listening right now you got exactly the type of beer that you want um but i, I you know i get this working in any industry right you know hr or whoever it is brings in the okay today we're going to have a, a microaggressions um conversation or we're going to talk about implicit bias or we're going to hire somebody who's in your position and a lot of the times i get the sense that they're just doing it to check a box Mm. covering their asses so if Mm. somebody asks they they can say well we you know we hired the so i don't know the title of your position and he's a person of color so we're doing everything we can (laughs) um but i just don't get the sense that that's true because i mean i've seen very little like action like this is what we're going to do and i and i know in northern colorado i mean all of us have lived in fort collins and we've all worked i guess except for drew at the same organization at one time and we would always talk about well we need to hire more people of color it and the reality was there's just not a lot of people of color in northern colorado and so like how do you navigate that working in a primarily white industry in the the widest city that I've ever lived in. <laughs> so and I've lived in and I've lived in Finland, people. <laughs> <laughs> when when you're looking to when you're so yeah, this is just just playing right into to there's a lot of a lot of layers when, to that onion there. 
Yeah, but when you're looking when you're looking at at diversifying uh, place of work, when if you own a company or you know, part of leadership of a company, when you're looking to diversify your place of work, it is it's a it's not a quick. There's zero quick fix uh, as far as doing that because the biggest part about it is if you if your company if your business is the place you're working for doesn't have a foundation of respect and a foundation of people, uh, like, like really, um, you know, employee focused type of businesses, then you could never hope to reach a place of having a diverse and inclusive workforce or diverse and inclusive fans or, or, or customers or things like that. And so I think it, I think it all starts in the foundation of, of your business. Right. And, and so I work, my, my company started maybe, Maybe not with intrinsically the mind for making it an equitable place for people of all back racial and ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds. Maybe that wasn't the exact thought, but my company was built on the foundation that people are what make our organization special and not our beer. Uh, our beer yeah. is fantastic. And we do, we, we make, we put that quality into it, but it's also the foundations of it are about the people. And so because that is the foundation of where we are, we are able to take that, like the, the very framework of who we are. And now I can take that and with like company leadership and things like that, then start the very slow uh, and very arduous process of creating something that is, yes, maybe started very white, but we are also... We also buck the trend because two of our three founders are women, and so so in the, in the craft brewing industry, I mean they were they were crazy diverse even from the beginning um, because we had we had a woman in our CEO role, uh, 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 two women as our founders, and so when they were going to beer conferences, they're already marginalized. They they have stories on stories on stories about what it was like to be a woman in that realm. And so because that, that's that's what we are built on, we are built uh, already being, uh, you know, somewhat diverse, right? And so that's gender diversity. And now and now we 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 work on that and we fight for that. And now, so, so bringing in um, how our community, our, our local community of Fort Collins, but we've, we service a 20 state footprint. And so, it's not just Fort Collins who we are thinking about. We're thinking about also the 20-state footprint that we represent. And so because of that, building on to that and adding in uh, the ideas of, of racial and ethnic uh, equality just is kind of the next phase of who we are as a company. And so because of that, it's, it's, I am in, a, I'm in a, a space where I believe change can happen and that we can have effectual change in my company. Um, but other industries, other companies, other businesses, um, I don't think have that framework and that, that foundation to start on. So what's going to happen to those companies? Yeah. Well, and, and that, and do you see going forward where there'll be more companies that do, I mean, it seems like that's in the, that's in the ether right now. Anyway, is that a real, Um, you know, a, a, is there a real chance for change there where companies will now from now on be more founded in those principles and, right. you know, Jack, what about we were, were you yeah. started by white guys? Well, <laughs> I mean, when you, 
when you definitely work in an industry that is, you know, uh, predominantly white, um, it, it definitely starts with a mindset shift. But one of the things, you know, Andrew, I think you were you were kind of hopping around and you you touched on it a little bit, but I think that companies when they understand that having a more diverse workforce benefits them both from an employee standpoint but also but also on the bottom line in that when you have better diversity of thought when you have people of different ethnic racial backgrounds when you have people of different genders working in different levels of the company all around it is going to help make that company more money right and that's at the end yep. of the day that's what companies want and so when you get to when you look at a company that is you know has at one point had 10,000 plus people, um, they were making an active, it started off as, well, diversity is a cool thing. So <laughs> let's do it, right? And then it turned into, actually, we're benefiting from this. So mm. we continue to go down this pathway because we recognize that when we have people with different backgrounds and different mindsets in positions, not only at the bottom, but also at the top, that it ultimately mm. affects everybody. Now, I think what's been an interesting shift is you also see, um, I think, Andrew, you had said, you know, what is that line, or, or maybe it was Drew, what is that line where companies are are willing or unwilling? And I think what it comes down to is money, right? So I saw a shift within my industry when money became more important, mm. money won out. Meaning mm. diversity was put to the back burner because what was more important was becoming financially stable, right? And mm. I think that's been kind of a, a challenging thing to navigate is how do you advocate for money to attend, you know, um, different events that promote diversity when there's not enough money to keep the company going, right? And being able to have those conversations with, people at the top to be like, look, now is a great opportunity for us to make sure that we are extra conscientious about the people that we're hiring. And if we do a great job now, when we are more financially stable, it's only going to benefit us rather than putting all that stuff to the wayside and then having to rebuild at the end, right? So it's definitely a, a wild conversation to have to navigate. And Jackson, you got you hit it so well on the head. You're right. We got to talk about money. I mean, that's that's where it is. You're exactly right. That's it. it. All comes down to money on both on both the line and and can businesses do it? It's about the money, right? And so, yeah, if you can. Can yeah. I? I want to. I want to share a quick anecdote. I won't say the name of it, it, but um, I was interviewing with a pretty significant tech startup in San Francisco. And, um, you know, they're, they were ranked as, as one of the top companies. They're, they're growing super fast, making money hand over fist. And I asked the, uh, the CEO, I said, hey, so how do, you all, uh, how do you all like do this? How do you make sure that you're bringing in great people? And he was like, oh, we, we get referrals. And I said, okay, that's great. Well, oftentimes when people refer people, they refer people just like themselves. So how do you mm -hmm. make sure that you... Uh, you know, have a diverse workforce coming in through those referrals. And the CEO, no joke, says, 
we don't actually care about that. We're just trying to make money. And that right <laughs> is proof that oftentimes money is the, uh, the thing that, that, that uh, is the, the big factor. Mm. Well, how do you guys feel, though, when, when companies are so blatantly just forcing that though too you know what i mean like you can like all these commercials that have come out in the wake of um george floyd and the blm movement and everything like that and it's just so blatant that that what it is is a money grab or at least they're just trying so hard to rebrand for the future whatever it is and it's just i don't to me anyway i feel like it's just like, like it's fake or maybe not fake but just very contrived and forced well, I, do, do you guys notice that too and how do you feel about that if you do yeah. You know, Drew, um, the role that Andrew's in and, and the role that I've kind of maneuvered into, um, if we were having this conversation a year ago, when you go onto yeah. LinkedIn, you maybe see one role once every few months that is related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. Now you go on, I'm getting alerts every single day. There's 30 plus roles really? every day that these companies are doing this. Now, to your point, I have a feeling that a lot of them are just trying to do it because they feel that they have to, right? Yeah, but check boxes. I think ultimately, I view it as a positive thing that even if they're doing it from maybe coming from not the best mindset, I imagine that once those positions are hired, they will only benefit from having mm -hmm. that. They will only benefit from adding in more diversity. They will only benefit from having people that bring in diverse perspectives. And so, you know, yeah, the intent maybe was not uh, the best, but I, I really do believe that ultimately through the, the progression of these roles coming on board, that it will result in a much uh, more inclusive workforce for everyone. That's my hope though. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, Obviously, I'm I'm hopeful as well, but but yeah, I, I'm my I'm guessing Jackson. What's your percentage? What do you, what do you think percentage of the companies that are hiring diversity, equity, inclusion folks, or posting different things or making it percentage of companies that you think are actually going to like shift their structure, culture, uh, mindset to a more inclusive and equitable mindset. Uh, Give me what, what's your honest percentage? What's your honest percentage? Honest percentage is 20 to 30%. And it's because it back down to money. So in order, so there's actually a big shift that's been happening in the space where they're changing titles to actually be inclusion, equity, and diversity. And the reason is because you can't have a diverse workforce if your workforce is not inclusive. If you hire a hundred black people onto your company and expect that they're just going to thrive and enjoy working there, well, that's probably not the case, right? You need to have an already set up inclusive environment for them to be successful and not just black people, but people from all races, backgrounds, whatever, right? So I think that what's going to happen is they're going to hire all these positions and then realize, okay, now that they're here, we don't actually have the employee organizations to provide an inclusive workspace for these people. So, and that's cost a lot of money to do that. So that's why I say 20 to 30%. Well, that's, 
I think I think you're being generous. I was that's saying not, I was not. saying ten. To, I was saying I was saying ten percent. We're ten percent, and I'm we're drinking. Ten <laughs> percent, yeah. well, we're celebrating. I, I mean, Jackson goes back to what you said about that book. I mean, everything's fine until it hits your bottom line, right? Mm-hmm. And these companies are they're companies to make money's money, and if they're not a company like uh, Andrews, where really diversity's built into the foundation of who they are. I mean, it, you know, you, you can only, you can only fake it so much, right. Until you break it down and rebuild it. And so, and so I I mean, all of these companies are going to, yeah, you hire a hundred black people, but if, if inclusion and equity isn't built into the foundation of who you are, like, what does that really do? I mean, those, those people are going to, those people are going to quit and they're going to go someplace else. But but what you're saying is by you know maybe by default, mm. the hiring of, um, you know a hundred black people is going to have a positive, although maybe not originally intended effect on that organization. That's my hope. Right, right. Well, I I I guess I hope so too. <laughs> um, I have to say I'm 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm not as hopeful as you on that. Well, I mean, I, but, you know, I, I feel like there is, I have no choice but to be hopeful, right? Because the alternative right, yeah. is yeah. far worse. And mm. if I'm not hopeful, if I don't have people, you know, who are also hopeful, then what's the point, right? Yeah. Well, if, if, we're, if we're not, the alternative is now. Is, what, is, is it is our life up to this point, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so yeah. I'm, it's a, it's a, that's a great, yeah, well, I, I yeah. Because if we're if we're not hopeful, then it's just going to be the same. The and alternative, the alternative is now because we're the next generation. We're we're going to be the ones taking over the leadership roles at these organizations, right? And mm-hmm. and and then you know the people. I mean, God, the people behind us are the ones setting fire to the streets. And so, you know, how, how, how are they going to lead, right? Those damn kids. <laughs> right. We'll be kicking them off our lawns before too long. Um, Andrew, but, has a question? Yeah. So I'm curious. You know, I think I and Andrew probably would, would uh, echo this as well. We're in a space where we're constantly talking about these things. But I'm curious amongst you and your white friends and families, have you all noticed that more conversations are being had, that people are willing to be like, hey, did you see that George Floyd was murdered? That sucks. Like, are you all seeing those conversations or are they still being confined to conversations just with black people? Ooh, (laughs) nice, Jack. (laughs) That's a good question. Nate, why don't you take this one? Yeah, I, absolutely, <laughs> and and they couldn't be they couldn't be more different conversations. Um, yeah, yeah. You know when I obviously when I lived in Colorado, even outside of the workplace, um, I would say pretty constructive conversations because there was a lot of different backgrounds being fed into that dialogue or in, into that conversation. Um, and I, I, I'm currently sitting here in Nebraska having these conversations. I don't want to. I don't want to shit on my home state. I love it. I I had no problem growing up here, but it's a very different type of conversation. When you talk about George Floyd in red Donald Trump 
America. Like it, it's just different. Um, and, and it's been, I would say not as constructive of conversations that I've had here. And, you know, Drew can speak to this a little bit, uh, or I guess not even a little bit, a lot, because he's from Nebraska and lived here for a long time. I mean, I didn't, there's just not a ton of black people here that I engage with on a regular basis. And it's, I mean, I don't, I don't live, it's not because of where I live. It's not because of where I work. I, I can't tell you why it is. Um, you know, Omaha is a fairly segregated city. I mean, all the minorities are in certain parts of the city and I'm just not able to have those conversations. And a lot of the conversations that come up are, are with somebody that's on the, you know, the other side of the political aisle as me, which is fine, but I have to work a lot harder to find, you know, common ground. And, 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 and it's, it's just difficult. It's really, really difficult for me to do than it was uh, in the past. Yeah. I mean, that's a, Nate, that's a, a perfect example of what we were talking about earlier, right? Uh, yeah. The yeah. system is set up to keep people secluded, to segregate people, and to allow those in power to remain in power because they know that if people actually had opportunities to have conversations, they'd realize, oh, wow, these are human beings who are terrified for their kids yeah. because they can't yeah. go outside because they may get shot by the police, right? Well, it's so yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, Jackson, because my office is, I'm, I'm the minority. The straight white male is the minority. We have... Uh, my boss is from Colombia, the country. We got um, you know, his, Hispanic women. We have African-American women. We have uh, gay men. And so we have these conversations all day. And just my in you know everyday work environment is that. And then I step outside into a completely different world where it, and I'm like my head's spinning because – I like what I have at work. And then I step outside to, to the city that I live in. And it's like, I, I stepped into another country. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's really hard to reconcile all of that, but mm -hmm. that's, that's just more of a comment than I guess working towards a solution. I don't know the, the conversations I have, I guess I've kind of spawned the motivation for this conversation because a lot of times you do hop into those, those conversations with, you know, with, the white communities I know and have interacted with and everyone's already made up their mind. And that's why, that's why my question is, can we have an honest conversation about this or not? You know, I grew up in small town, Nebraska, and I don't, I don't honestly think anyone, not anyone, but most people back there don't mean ill. They, they have no malicious intent. They may be ignorant in, in certain ways, but I don't think they have malicious intent and all of that said, if you try to have a conversation um, with a lot of them, it's it's like I said, you're just it's too far gone. You can't have a conversation with them. Well, so, they have no context, and I sorry yeah. that's yeah. mean to say, but but they just they don't have any yeah. context. And the one thing that I've really noticed since moving back, and especially when I go back home, um, I mean, truly, how and this goes both ways, whether it's Fox or MSNBC or CNN you know, whatever your, your, your outlet is, 
I mean, it's just on all the time. And, and, and think about that. Think about what that does when you listen to that yeah. all day, every day. I mean, that is your view. That is the view you're going to have. Um, yeah. You don't have any opportunity to form your own view. And if you don't have the life experience to form your own view, which is fine, I'm not demeaning that. I'm not surprised why people think what they think. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm not surprised why they have the views they do. So I don't know. There um have I been having have we been having more conversations about it? I don't I'm not sure about that, but the conversation I the conversations I have had are they're different for sure. <laughs> in not always in good ways and not always in bad ways too. It's just it's different. Right. And I I think it's uh I think it's it is important to realize that people can be racist, but that doesn't mean they're bad, right? It's not mm. it's not a binary thing. It's not racism equals bad. So good people can't be racist. Tons of good people are racist. Oh, most of my entire family is racist. My friends are like racism and the systemic racism and what has happened in our country. The what what we were talking about earlier from the beginning, the system has been built for all of us, whether depending on where we are and, and that system is built and that system exists and we are all part of that system. And so yes, racism lives within all of us and it doesn't mean someone's good or bad, you know, mm. it, people are, are racist, but do they, do they challenge that? Do they, do they want to challenge that? Do they, are, are they observant of that fact? Uh, are they observant of their privilege and what they've benefited from, from that system, right? I've, I've benefited from being light-skinned. I've benefited from being a man. I'm, that, that is a deep privilege. I've benefited from being cisgender, you know, straight male. Like I, I've benefited from so much and, and I'm still, I still have a lot to learn, but I have, I have been guilty of several transgressions just with my places of privilege. And so I think it's, a, it's important that we all realize that we all are part of this system and that racism is not just racist equals bad. You know, you're a bad person. Nope. There's a lot of good people that are really being racist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it feels like when you're, when you're white and you think you're a good person, well, God, I couldn't be racist. Right. And um, for instance, it's a very, a very typical thing back to very white communities and stuff like that. They'll say, well, you know, I have this black friend or, um, you know, or I'm, I'm friends with this person in my situation. Like my girlfriend's Mexican. I know you guys, you're black. I have other black friends. I have all these friends of colors, you know, Asian, whatever. I can't possibly be racist because look at this evidence right here that I have these, <laughs> these friends who are people of color. Right. And so I want to know, like when you guys hear that, um, that is a, a good example of, can we have an honest conversation about that sort of thing? Even Jack, you want it first? Yeah. Jack, what do you yeah, think of that? Yeah. I mean, when, whenever I hear that, um, the word that comes to mind is defensive, right? So, immediately the first thing that goes up is a wall and people say my wall is that I'm colorblind or my wall is that I don't see race. Hmm. My wall is that I have a black friend, so I can't be racist. And that is a defensive mechanism. That is people saying, I am afraid to acknowledge 
that maybe I have done something racist, right? And to Aaron's right. point, that doesn't mean that they've done some that they are a bad person. It just means that maybe they have done something racist. I absolutely will acknowledge that in in many instances, I have done something that could be conceived as as racist or or you know the whole gamut. But for me, I think the biggest piece is you know then trying to break that down. Okay, so you have a, a black friend. Well, tell me about the conversations you all have had. Mm-hmm. What's your interaction when you get pulled over by police? What's their interaction, right? And trying to break those barriers down and that defense system down so that people can can have those honest conversations. Because again, that's all I hear when they say that is defense. I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And when I hear someone say that, I'm, I'm I completely agree with Jack. It's just like, oh, this is not going to be an honest conversation. So then it's like, oh man, that's wild. Oh man, your friend sounds so cool. Yeah, that's tough. Oh man, yeah, that's tough. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. No, it, it it's painful for me. You know, it's like when you start with that, then yeah, no, this isn't going to be an honest conversation. Yeah, like and and it's and and with a friend, with a friend, with someone yeah. I trust and and love, maybe my my family. You know, I can I can maybe maybe I'd have time to like be like, all right, hey. That's cool, but and I might I might talk to them about the example that that Jackson used, right? Like, all right, these are these are this is what you're hiding behind, but let's let's really dig in there. Like, yeah. how is their lived experience different? So that's yeah. that's uh, you know, yeah yeah. When someone starts with that, it's kind of like, oh, cool, yeah, um, yeah, man. Oh, it's tough. Yeah, <laughs> you know you know what I always think about whenever uh, somebody says that is, I then reflect for myself. And I think to myself, do I tell people, oh, yeah, my white friend, Nate, I never <laughs> used that right. qualifier, right? Right. right. Exactly. And, and then right. I think to myself, well, my mother never says, oh, my black son, Jackson, right? Mm. It's, it's how did, why are they using that qualifier? And it's Josh, because you, they you, feel. You just, you just took the words out of my mouth. I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to cut you yeah. off. But like, I mean, you guys are, are both. Vi- Andrew and Jackson, Andrew, you're just, you're not black, Drew, so you don't, mm. this example doesn't apply to you. I would never, <laughs> I would never use you guys in that way. Like, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're actually my friend, if somebody's actually a friend, I'm not going to leverage your identity to get, you know, further my position yeah. in an argument. Mm. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't, I mean, what a, what a shitty thing to do to a friend. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah. and even it, my, my thing is though, too, is just like, because I've, I'm sure at some point I've used that argument. I know I've used that argument at some point, or at least if not out loud, I've used it for myself. Right. But I, I've also noticed that too, that like, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't say, you know, my, my black friend Jackson or my black friend Andrew or whatever. Um, but if I'm out and about and I see a person of color somewhere, I'll be like, oh, that's, that's a black guy. Like that, 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 that thought pops into my head. Right. And so I, I know I can't sit here and say, oh, I have, I have minority friends and, and family or whatever. And so that makes me automatically not racist. I I've, I've realized that over the years, but it did, it took me some time. I'll be honest. It took me a little while to, to realize that. You know, because when you have that personal experience right. with somebody, it's much easier to 
just forget about it. I don't like if I see you guys, I'm not, Oh, my black friend, Andrew. All right. You know, awesome. <laughs> I just think that's, I, I see, I say <laughs> that whenever I see Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's my dude. Right I get there. it. Well, I mean, I'm oh, sorry. Go for it, Nate. Well, I just, I, I don't know what sparked this, but this example, I don't even know what it's an example of. I'm just going to say it because, um, <laughs> Andrew, I mean, you and I used to work in the same profession, right? We used to, mm. we used to do the same thing. And if where we would travel with other, we'll just call them salespeople for lack of a better word. And if they would see, you know, a representative of our organization, it would either be me or it would be Andrew. Okay. And I, and I would meet these people and be like, Hey, I met your colleague out on the road and you know, super bubbly, blah, blah, blah. I knew they were talking about Andrew. And, and I would go, oh, was he, was he black? And they'd be like, oh, oh, um, well, I don't, I, I guess, I guess he was, I guess he was. <laughs> oh, yes. Now I'm and glad I, that I'm remembering. And, and, I, and, 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 and I want you to tell me, am I wrong in thinking, like, are we so past the point where I'm like, Andrew, you're, you're black. You're a black person. I think that's a, you know, like, was, was the person you're referring to a black person? Like that would be a pretty good way of knowing who we're talking about here. Mm. And they were so scared to answer that question <laughs> that I just think of it as, as an example of how fearful, fearful people are to talk about this stuff. Well, and again, goes back to why I'm asking, can we have an honest conversation about it? So, well, yeah. I'm just like, Oh my God, like really, you can't answer that question. Was it a black well, person that I'm referring to? Well, I th- and I think a lot, I think a lot of that goes back to uh, comfort level um, yeah. in the topic, right? Like when when you're able to have conversations with Black, Indigenous, people of color, when you're then then those the those identities are are much easier to talk about, um, you know. And I mean, it's it's I can't hide it. I cannot hide the fact that I'm Black. I can't hide the fact that I'm ascribed as black. And so, yeah, I'm black. Now what I wouldn't, you know, the, the adverse of that is, I think maybe we were hinting at earlier is like using a, a protected, a protected status to like identify someone, right? Like, Oh, that's uh that's black Jackson over there. Like, Oh, <laughs> my friend, black Jackson. Like, Oh really? Like, Oh, is yeah. That, is that's what you call yeah. it. Um, so I think that's, that's an issue. Uh, but I, but I think, people in their comfort level if they if you don't talk about racial and ethnic backgrounds if you're not if you're not used to discussing identity and and then i think people are very uncomfortable with that type of conversation um Mm -hmm. because again to be in those conversations to have honest conversations there has to be there has to be trust and you have to give up something and, and you can't just come ah. in your place of power and just be like, Oh yes, this is going to be honest. And so when you're, when you're asking someone like, Oh yeah. Like, Oh, I met one of your friends and he's tall and this is like, Oh, uh, black guy, Andrew. And like, uh, yeah. You know, if they're, if they're not used to, <laughs> if they've never had conversations with people discussing identity, then, it's probably going to be difficult because when you get into discussions about identity and about race and ethnicity, then yeah, you're going to have to come to some really tough truths about the privilege that you've enjoyed. 
and yeah. and how your lived experience is going to be different. And so, and that's hard to admit, right? When when people have worked hard their whole lives and when they've come from this background or that background, admitting, you know, like, okay, our lived experience is different. You're poor, but I'm I'm poor, but then your experience is a little different. I I don't know. I think it's uh that's yeah. I touched on like well, four different things. So, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanna I wanna challenge Nate a little bit on this. So uh-huh. When, when you two are, are, you're talking about traveling, right? And you're talking about, you both are, are working in the same industry and, and, you know, you say, hey, was he black, right? I, I think one of the things that's really important that we talk about is the intersectionality that comes into, you know, America, right? So mm. the concept of race is a very uh, human created thing and specifically very predominant mm-hmm. here in the United States, right? So when I'm over in the Middle East traveling, I'm just seen as another person who might, you know, speak Arabic, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they would describe me as, well, he's a light skinned Arab or a dark skinned Arab. They would just see me as, okay, here's this person. Let me, let me speak to him. Right. The concept of race probably does not cross their minds. And in the U S we have just become so inherently uh, you know, we're always trying to figure out how do I describe somebody? Well, the easiest way is, is what they look like, right? Well, why can't mm. I just be described as Jackson, that really good looking dude, right? And, <laughs> well, we do say that about you. Well, well, yeah, obviously. But, but that's, I think, <laughs> the, the broader point, right? Is why is it that, like, in a beautiful world, we would get to the point where we have other words and language to describe people that are as that mm. are just as meaningful and just as easy to identify people as, oh, that, oh, you were talking about Andrew the Black Guy, right? And I get that it's easy, but also there's so many other countries and so many other places where that concept probably wouldn't even cross their minds. Or for example, <laughs> if you said that and we were down in Georgia, they'd be like, what are you talking about? That dude's mixed, right? So there's all these uh, different the context. What it means, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I know what you're saying. I completely it, understand what you're saying. The, this was with other colleagues in the profession. It wasn't with right. like, Pakistani students. Right. And, I, and I understand. Like, but, but I, I mean, let me, let me counter your pushback with a pushback of my own. Like, Coming if in. we say, yeah, the guy, was, the guy was attractive and charismatic, I'd be like, well that doesn't really break it down that much. Like why, <laughs> why if I say, Oh, was he black? Like, why is that bad? Like why, why can't we work to the point where that's not a negative? Can I ask, like, you, can I ask you a question, Nate? You can. Do you think that when people describe you, do you think that they describe you as, Oh, Nate, the white guy? No, they don't. Okay. Then, then that's, I think the point. <laughs> That I'm trying to and it's be- and it's because white's normalized in our society. In yeah. in the world society, white is normalized. White white equals normal. So so because of that, like what, what Jackson's sitting at, which is great, is like white equals normal. And so because of that, and especially de- depending on like Jackson was talking about context, um like like this this is a good descriptor, right? Because even though our mm. country and good people without our in our country can say colorblind. Everyone sees me as a black person in America, right? 
right fucking first thing. <laughs> like first fucking mm-hmm. thing. Oh, yeah. that dude's black. <laughs> like, and yeah. so, so yes, it's a, it's a descriptor. And I think, I think the, I'm guessing the way Nate sees it as Nate knows what people are thinking and, but he is comfortable yeah. being able to like talk about those identities. And then if people wanted to talk more about Nate's own identity, I'm sure he'd be, but it, it is interesting. You're exactly right, Jackson. It, the normalcy of, the, the white normalcy is is real, especially in conversations like this. Yeah, and that's this is that's was kind of the point I was making about when when I realized that you know I can't just say I have black friends, and therefore I'm not racist. Is because for I think for a lot of white people anyway, you, you are you are we we do identify um, other races as their race until we get to know them, right? Whereas we don't do that with white people. We don't like, I, you know, I, I, like now, sure. I see you guys. I don't think my black friend, this, that, but probably for a while I, I did. Well, and when and, I see a black person, and, I will say, and, yeah, that's a black person. What and that's, I? that's part of the structure we're in. We still see it. You still yeah. see Jackson as I, as black people, right? right. Well, Easy. The, we're doing the show on the whole thing. So. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and we, yeah. and, 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 and we, I don't see you. I don't think of you all as white until I think of the concept of my own right. race. Right. When I think of the concept of my own race, then I'm thinking you're white, but this system that we're part of, I don't think all the time about how white you two are <laughs> until I'm thinking okay. about my own race. We're really white. Though, um, so I'm still thinking about my own race. Yeah, we're real white. Like, oh man. Yo, you know. Like, yeah. Well, okay, okay. Um, yeah, we're about as white as it gets. No, I, I just, I, I was gonna. I had an interesting interaction today that I, I, I think kind of helps also kind of tie up and illustrate this as well. You know. Andrew, again, hit it on the head when he talked about white is normalcy, right? And so, Nate, I don't think anything at all of you saying, oh, yeah, was he black or, or, you know, using that qualifier. I know, I know your heart and I know inherently there's no malice behind that, right? And I think then it comes down to, again, the things that are ingrained in our society, right, that we don't think of that are constantly there. Let me just share a quick story. Um, yeah. So uh, today I am up in Yellowstone and I am standing outside of Old Faithful and there's probably a thousand people circled around and everybody's waiting for this amazing, majestic thing to go off. And one of the only thoughts I kept having was, my God, there is not another black person here. <laughs> and so like, I, I say that because even in my own life, race is constantly something that I am thinking about. Right. Mm. And mm-hmm. it's constantly at the forefront and I can't escape it because I have to live it every single mm-hmm. day. And there's nothing mm-hmm. bad about there not being any black people at Yellowstone, but also it was like a very apparent thing, right? And I imagine that there probably was somebody in the crowd that was like, oh, look at that black person over there. And maybe there wasn't, but that's what goes through my mind, right? Because of the othering that this society right. has created when it comes to black versus white specifically. Hey, and you know what, you know what's you know what's fucked up about that? 
is Danny and I were just in Yellowstone, what, about two months ago? Dead ass. We were when we were walking into Old Faithful. I was like, "All right, baby, let's let's count the black people." Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's true. That's the first thing I thought of too. It's because and and it's because we always have to think about it, right? Like, I'm yeah. I I this is my life every day. I we think about this because we have to every day, every moment, every <laughs> yeah. Damn. <laughs> no. But Old Faithful that. was it was glorious. No, it was dope. <laughs> it, was, it was it was it was it was definitely cool. But yeah, it's definitely yeah. black um, people. If you're listening, uh, black people, if you're listening, hit up Old Faithful. Yo, uh, would recommend. Don't expect to see any other brothers and sisters there. Um, it's all right. That land was that the land stolen. We can get to that later. But just yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. Well. I, 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 this whole topic deserves a lot more time, but we're getting on, uh, over an hour definitely here. So, um, there is one last question though, that I think you guys just started touching on that we can maybe wrap up with a little bit that I have. And unless Nate has some other burning questions too, but, um, what, what is, what's the end goal? Like what's, what is it? What does the ideal, um, and in mind that you have, like for, if it's not for you, for your children, maybe, or. Yeah, I was going to say, are we it, talking in our lifetime or. Is it, well, well, I mean, no, just ideally, like what is the end goal? Is it really that we, we see skin color as something as trivial as eye color yeah. or Yo, can I, color or whatever it is, or is, is there something else? If I can, if I can just be a little, a little abrupt, I gotta say, I mean, sure. that's a very, and. Is that it's a very white way to look at this situation. Okay. You know, what how do we fix this? What's the what's the outcome, right? Like there is there's no fixing. There's no like uh there's yeah. no like tie it up, bow, we're at a place of this is a struggle right <laughs> every day. It is a it is it is a struggle every day. Uh and and I don't I don't I mean, I as with Jackson, I have hope for continued stuff on on thought, thought and, and equity. But we can't we can't look at this in thoughts of tying it up with a bow. Oh, hey, how does how does this end? We we yeah, and I, I know that sounds, Now we're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I I don't want that to sound super. What's uh, what's uh, What's the word we used to talk about a lot? Not nihilistic or or, or super yeah. or, or super kind of thing, but it's like this isn't a, a, a fix. This is a and that's I think that's something else. This is something to live with and to like I don't know, Jack. What do you? Well, what do you? It, it, I, I don't know. A, yeah, help me, help me, Bob. Yeah, so it, <laughs> it's not. I don't think it's a fix. I think it's an evolve, right? So a, a quick kind of little anecdote I can share is. Um, when the the riots were happening in denver a curfew went into effect and so 9 p.m i'm at the the protest the marching 9 p.m hits i'm on my bike and i'm riding home as fast as i can because i'm terrified that i'm going to be arrested for being out past curfew and on my way i passed a park and there were a bunch of 
young people in the park eating pizza and drinking White Claws. And I share that story because I think where the fix comes or where the evolution comes is when the majority of people can realize there is a problem with the fact that I'm terrified and they're eating pizza and drinking White Claws in a park. And when the majority of people can recognize and say, you know what, I will never know, Jackson, Andrew, what you're going through, but I can recognize that it's wrong and something needs to change. For me, that's the first step. How we get there is we humanize things. We have yeah. conversations. It's, you know, we talked about, Nate, you brought up, you know, you, you're in your community there are just a lot of people who've probably never had a conversation with a black person, right? And then their only context is via what they see on TV. So how do we humanize it? How do we make people, how do we give people opportunities to have conversations and step outside of, you know, the norm for them? And I think that's how we start the evolution is we yeah. humanize these conversations and, and let people recognize that there are actual people on the other side of this who are terrified. I think that's where it starts. I I think you're exactly right. Yeah. No, I, I think it's just realize, like humanize all the situations, realize what's out there and then see how that affects you. And that's a start. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and I think, and I hope too, just like that starts with being more honest about it, which was, you know, kind of, what I wanted to do today, just being honest about those things, you know, and, about. and if we're being honest after this, at who, whoever, you know, the people are listening to this, I mean, you've heard our voices, but like I said, we've all, we all still come from a position of privilege. Like mm -hmm. if you really, if you're really interested in this, in, in getting into uh, race inequality or, or the language and the experience of the oppressed, I mean, there are, Listen to some of like our sisters out there, women of color. Goodness gracious, mm -hmm. our, our non-binary uh, sisters. Get, yeah. get out there, hear the sisters of color. Like mm -hmm. like me and Jackson are still at this at, at a place of privilege, even Absolutely. within our own oppression. And so so while while I'm okay. I'm glad you're listening, do listen to the voices of of more of. There's, and there's tons out there on Facebook of our sisters, of our sisters, of our non-binary, because this, that is part of it. I mean, that is, they, they're, that is, those are the voices we need to keep uplifting as well. And more importantly, um, and so I would encourage that be kind of your first stop because, you know, I, I will, I can talk about my lived experience, but I've even still enjoyed a ton of privilege compared to yeah the the other black indigenous people of color out there who whether it's their gender identity or just being a woman like yeah, yeah. so so please please don't don't let this be the end because this is this is just a couple voices um we, for sure yeah well no. said I think so. Um, yeah, like I said, guys, I know this doesn't even begin to cover the topic uh, and, and do it justice, but it's a start, I hope. Uh, and yeah, I, I hope. Uh, I definitely got something out of it. Nate, you, do you have anything else? No, just thanks for coming on, guys. I know it's not easy to talk about this stuff sometimes, so hopefully we can 
change yeah. the minds of some of our listeners. That'd be a step in the right direction. And just yeah. Get the conversation going. Absolutely. For sure. And and if uh, and if anyone wants like uh, you know resources as far as who to who to be listening to, who to yes. follow on Instagram, who to do that. Well, I'll, we can share some of our favorites with Drew. Yep. Uh, obviously, I'm in this. I'm in this all the time. So we can share some stuff with Drew. He can either post it on that. Uh, but really, listening to some of the 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 true activists in this work and in the you know, yeah, like there's there's some great stuff happening in a lot of different industries in our culture in a lot of different countries. So I'll, I'll share some of my favorites with Drew and yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll put that up in the show notes for sure. Yeah, yeah. Here. And Nate, if you want to come up to Yellowstone, let me know, bud. <laughs> I will. I will let you know. <laughs> Careful what All you right. wish for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Cheers, boys. Appreciate it a lot. Later. Bye. If you like this episode, check out more at twooldmillennials.com.